January 31st, 2010, First Church and Parish in Dedham, Cultivating a Joyful Heart by the Reverend Raleigh Weaver. There is a very interesting phenomenon that I've noticed over the past three years that I've been preaching in Dedham. It seems that whatever subject I choose to preach on turns out to be a particular struggle for me that week. For example, the week we had the pet blessing service and I stood in front of you encouraging you to consider the quality of your animals' lives and the ways you might communicate with them more directly, I found my own two cats and dog frustrating to deal with. Or on the week I chose the title Dancing with All Aspects of Self, I found myself not liking all the aspects of myself very much. Or when I preached to you on new measures of progress, a couple weeks ago, I found myself unable to get out of the rut of the old measures I had put in place for myself. There are countless ways this phenomenon raises its ugly head, and this week was no different. On Monday, I found myself at the car shop with my car needing more repairs than I can currently afford. On Tuesday, I spent my day tearfully planning the memorial service for Francis Brooks. On Wednesday, I found myself rushing to finish the order of service in your hand in time to get it copied. On Thursday, I was confronted with countless misconceptions and personal errors. On Friday, while consumed with the memorial of our dear friend Francis, the heat went out on the downside of my house, and McFarland had to come and replace the transformer on the heater. And on Saturday, I found myself distracted by countless non-sermon writing activities and then having to plunge and replunge a downstairs toilet only to find out that the problem isn't the toilet but the sewage line. Just as Billy Collins suggests in his poem, my days have felt as though they pile up on each other, one at a time, in the same fashion that vaudevillian entertainers used to build impossible towers of dishes, one saucer, one cup, one saucer, one cup. For those of you too young or not privy to such a trick, let me demonstrate. It would be as if each day of the week were represented by another set, and we would find ourselves tottering under their weight Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. A good entertainer would pick this pile up and would walk through this audience swaying until Friday, or Saturday or Sunday, the days would either crash or begin again. Is it any wonder that amidst the weight of my concerns of the week that I might have found it difficult to cultivate a joyful heart? I am confident that we all encounter weeks such as this, and that for some of us, every week might feel like this. And yet when I hear stories such as Christopher Reeves, and I read Buddhist philosophy, I believe and I hope that there must be a way out of my personal suffering. For this sermon today, I have relied upon two texts, The Art of Happiness, a handbook for living by the Dalai Lama and Howard C. Cutler, and Calming a Fearful Mind, a Zen Response to Terrorism by Thich Nhat Hanh. I highly recommend both of these books and authors if you're seeking simple step-by-step instructions on how to liberate your heart and mind from the endless cycle of weekly distractions. I would, in fact, be happy to lend you mine, so long as you promise to give them back, 
as I am in no way finished learning what these two books have to teach. I find the outlook of Buddhists particularly helpful when trying to open my worldview, and I turn to books such as these over and over to regain my ground. The art of happiness begins with the premise that the purpose of life is happiness and explores what shifts in perceptions might be necessary to achieve such happiness. The idea is that our basic needs are met of food and shelter, that once they're met, that we can systematically reshape our hearts and minds toward happiness and joy by deepening our connection to others, fostering compassion, and increasing our self-esteem. In Calming the Fearful Mind, Thich Nhat Khan examines the roots of terrorism and fear and encourages the use of compassion, deep listening, and mindful communication to overcome them. It all sounds so simple, right? Compassion, deep listening, and mindful communication. I know from experience these are not always easy traits to embody. From a Buddhist perspective, in order to cultivate a joyful heart, we must learn to approach each obstacle in our path with mindfulness and compassion, and this requires a lifetime of practice. Life is practice. There will always be times when our days pile up as cups and saucers in a week, or an uncomfortable event hits us like a hammer. Turning our heart to Buddhist ideals will not automatically and our suffering. And I want to acknowledge right off the bat that there are countless tools to support us in our quest to cultivate a more, more joyful heart. And the Buddhist ideal is just one tool we may place in our toolbox. Everything from exercising and eating right to doctor-prescribed medications are acceptable and useful tools in steadying the ground under our feet when life is piling up in ways that lead our spirits away from joy. To these more recognized and accepted cures to heart sickness, I want to encourage us to practice a few more. First, I want to encourage each of us to begin as Walt Whitman does and meditate upon what it would require for us to head out afoot and lighthearted. Ask yourself, what it might take for you to feel healthy and free with the world before you and start to walk in that direction. I know from experience that when difficult things happen that sometimes it helps to get away and sometimes it helps to stay put. Awakening in each moment to truly listen to your heart and respond with mindfulness to what it needs is a first most vital step in calling yourself good fortune. When I finished with seminary and was setting out to San Francisco from Maine, I felt driven to dispose of my worldly goods in order to have that feeling of setting out lighthearted. Last week, when the parsonage was having all of its problems, my heart needed to stay at home and to settle in and to stay put in order to feel lighthearted about the things that were going on. What we each need in any moment to ground our hearts is different. I encourage you to pay attention to your own heart's longings. The Dalai Lama also points out that after our basic needs for food and shelter are met, 
The prime factor in achieving happiness is the identifying our mental state. We are reminded that our individual mental state can be affected by a wide variety of conditions, from chemicals such as alcohol and drugs to conditions of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse. He suggests that removing a toxic substance, such as alcohol or drugs, is necessary in healing an addiction. And so, too, removing negative thoughts is necessary in healing the spirit. In this line of thinking, the first step in fostering a joyful heart is in learning how negative emotions are harmful to us and how positive ones are helpful to us. Now, I know there are always times in our lives when we cannot trust our own instincts. And so I want us to turn toward thoughts of Thich Nhat Hanh. In his book, he writes, and I quote, The mind consciousness is like a living room. Underneath is a very big basement, the store of consciousness. Everything you don't like, you store down in the basement. He goes on to describe the way we store consciousness as being in seed form, just as the seeds that are put into the earth. And he says there are 51 kinds of seeds that go into the earth of our consciousness. These seeds can be both wholesome and unwholesome. Wholesome seeds are seeds of love and forgiveness, generosity, and happiness and joy. Unwholesome seeds include hatred, discrimination, and craving. When the seeds manifest, they are called mental formations. For example, our anger is a mental formation, and all of us have the seed of anger lying in our basement, our store of consciousness. We can play and have fun, but if someone comes along and waters that seed of anger, it will sprout up and come into our living room. What Thich Nhat Hanh suggests is that we water the wholesome seeds within each other and try to find ways to offer nourishing food for each other's consciousness. Keeping the storehouse of our consciousness in mind, I want to encourage each of us to, as Han suggests, selectively water. Let us offer food and water and oxygen to the seeds that foster joy within our spirits and refrain from watering those that cause discomfort. Just as we must do to keep our actual plants alive, we must always be aware of which seeds are asking for water and nourishment and which ones really need it. The final step I believe we need to focus upon today in our quest to cultivate a more joyful heart is the cultivation of compassion. In the Buddhist worldview, compassion is roughly defined in terms of a state of mind that is nonviolent, non-harming, and non-aggressive. It is a mental attitude based on a wish for everyone to be free of their suffering. This compassion is more universal than our Western view, which is defined as a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. Buddhist compassion encourages us to wish for the liberation of all spirits from suffering, even our own. To foster a joyful spirit, it seems we need to foster compassion both for others and for ourselves. To do so, we must stop piling up our cups in an endless tower of errors, but instead begin to see our lives as a mosaic, each fragment lying side by side with the blessings in our lives, which beautify the pattern. 
So I don't know about you, but I'm ready to dismantle my Tower of Cups and begin with mindfulness to cultivate joy within my heart. Let us from this day forward practice by watering the seed of joy and compassion within our own hearts and within each other. May it be so.